Welcome again to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue studying God's Word together. Now, if you're looking for a church to call your own, a place and a people that you can connect with, we'd love for you to visit with us at Calvary Baptist Church. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you need more information, you can call us at 479-442-4634, or you can find out information at calvaryfayetteville.com. Now, of course, we're on Facebook and Instagram and all of those places, but our website is a great one to connect with, calvaryfayetteville.com. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing a message from Psalm 139 entitled, If I Should Die Before I Wake. Let's listen together. Do you remember the little little nursery rhyme type prayer uh, from childhood? Maybe the first prayer you ever were taught to pray. It was a bedtime prayer, and it went like this. Some of you can say it with me from memory. If not, I think it'll be on the screen. And it goes like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The sad truth of that little nursery prayer is that over the last half century, over the last 49 years, between 63 and 70 million unborn babies have died before they woke. Of course, I'm speaking of the unspeakable disaster and sin of legalized abortion, abortion on demand. By the way, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time imagining the number 63 million or 70 million. We don't know how many for sure. Only God knows. But if you take the lower end of that number, 63 million, let me give you some perspective to it. If you were to take the war dead, the American war dead, those who died in the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War I, World War II, the Korean conflict, the Vietnam War, and the Persian Gulf War, all together, you would have 1,387,796 war dead. Bottom line, the total number of American war deaths over 247 years of history equal less than 3% of the number of unborn children that have been killed in our country in the last 49 years. Two weeks ago on Friday morning, June 24th, at 9.10 our time, all that began to change. And I want to emphasize, began to change. There's so much more work to be done. But it began to change because six brave, honest, and courageous 
Supreme Court justices did the right thing and struck down Roe v. Wade. That is the 1973 decision that stated abortion was a constitutionally protected right. The decision two weeks ago sought to correct that evil ruling of 1973. For Christians and any who love and respect life, June 24th should become an annual holiday, a day to remember and to thank God for. Now it won't, and it won't for a variety of reasons. And I think mainly because many professing Christians, having lived most, if not all, of their lives under Roe, hardly knew how to respond. While it should have led to spontaneous praise and prayer, while it should have had us on our faces before God, or maybe the opposite end, dancing in the streets in praise and thanksgiving, there was just stunned silence and even disbelief. Why is that? Why did we not know how to respond or what to think? Why has it caused me as your pastor? Why has it caused me to have to take two weeks to process this decision and what possible changes that it will make for our country? And we are finding and discovering to the surprise of many that this decision is actually revealing a serious crack in the church and a division in the church by those who rejoice with the decision and those who lament the decision. You see, friends, I think we have lived so long in a culture of death that we don't know how to process the new reality. But not only that, listen to me now, we have been conditioned for most of our lives with the world's values and the world's verbiage. Let me explain. More than 75 years ago, English novelist and journalist George Orwell. Do you remember George Orwell? Not the person, but maybe the book he is most famous for. Some of you, many of you had to read it in school. More than 75 years ago, George Orwell, not speaking of abortion, speaking of other things, said this very accurately Let's put it on the screen. In our time, he said, political speech and writing are largely the defense of the indefensible. In other words, most of what you see written politically and said politically is only intended to defend what 
is indefensible. Now listen to this statement. Indeed, the goal is to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable. Now again, he was talking about a number of world events that Great Britain was involved in 75 or more years ago. But no statement, especially that last sentence, could be more truthful in what you and I have been made to listen to and to hear day after day after day after day for 50 years almost in regards to abortion. The goal is to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable. This has been advocated in our institutions of higher learning, in the entertainment industry, think Hollywood when you hear that phrase, and through all forms of media, TV, radio, internet, social media, we have been brainwashed and programmed to think the world's thoughts about abortion. Now, I know that I'm not speaking of all of us, I hope and pray that I'm not speaking about anybody here, that we see through all of that stuff and we understand what God has to say about life and about the, the sin of taking lives, especially those who are the unborn. But understand that if not us, then people very close to us, perhaps our spouses, perhaps our children, perhaps our grandchildren, certainly those of our extended family, certainly our neighbors, without doubt those that we live and we go to school with, those that we are around every day. If we have not fallen prey to the lies of abortion, then certainly many around us have. For instance, let me give you some examples They'll be on the screen. We have heard these quotes. Abortion is a constitutionally protected right. We've heard that for 49 years. Thankfully, that one's over with. But let me just step aside from that and say, just because something is legal doesn't make it right. Now keep that in mind. Just because something is legal doesn't make it right. How about this? Abortion is health care. Abortion is freedom. Abortion is bodily autonomy. A country without this human right is not a free country. How about this? Abortion to me means safety, means control, means equality, means human rights. The mother is fully human and should have all her own rights and those outweigh those of the fetus. Another has said, reversing Roe v. Wade is essentially saying that an embryo or fetus is more valuable than the physical and mental health of the mother. Someone else has said, no woman can call herself free until she can choose consciously 
whether she will or will not be a mother. Someone else said, worse than aborting is birthing in instability. How about this? Until the state or the church takes full responsibility for a newborn, no bill or Bible is qualified to even offer suggestions on a woman's right to abortion. Abortion is legal almost everywhere. Not because people all over the world love to kill babies for fun, but because a fetus is not a baby. Abortion is a moral choice. It is an ethical choice. It is your choice. Are the ones we've seen so often, my body, my choice. Well, we could go on with that nonsense all day long. That's just nine or ten quotes that have been the law of the land and the philosophy of the day for America, for most of your lifetimes, for several of you, for all of your lifetime. Hearing these arguments and more for all those years has a way of shaping a nation's values and its thoughts, even those of people who profess Christ. The challenge for you and me, now listen to me, is to think differently. To have our minds shaped not by the world out there, not by radicals out there, not by people who don't follow Christ or respect God's Word, but to have our minds shaped by the Word of God rather than the world. Now, by the way, concerning your mind, the Bible has a lot to say about your mind. Did you know that? The Bible speaks many times about the minds of people. Before I get into what is actually the text and the brief outline I'll share with you, listen to these verses. Proverbs tells us that man has his own mind, but his mind and his plans will ultimately lead down a blind alley. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 28.26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. You find many such warnings. In the book of Proverbs, Jeremiah the prophet comes along and tell us, tells us at least twice that God will test our minds, our values, and our deeds. Jeremiah 11.20 says it is the Lord who tests the heart and the mind. And in 17.10, the Lord said, I the Lord search the heart and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The Apostle Paul comes along 
and speaks many, many times about the mind. But more than anything else, this is what he has to say. That we, listen to me now, he's writing to Christians, that we should have the mind of Christ. That my responsibility and your responsibility is to think God's thoughts about things, about my life, about the world around me, not the world's thoughts. So rather than all of those other things, my body, my choice, and on and on the list goes, that a fetus is not a child, is not a baby, and on and on, instead of thinking the world's thoughts, we need to be thinking God's thoughts. We need to have the mind of Christ. He tells the Romans to have their minds renewed so that they could be transformed. He tells the Corinthians, we have the mind of Christ. He tells the Colossians that we should set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. But even more than than the writer of Proverbs and Jeremiah the prophet and the Apostle Paul, Jesus had something to say about your mind and my mind as well. In Mark chapter 12, when asked what is the greatest commandment, you remember how he answered, do you not? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul or your being, with all your mind and with all your strength. Love God, not yourself, not your plans, not your agenda, not the world. Love God with all your mind. And I'm reminded in Luke 24 of a couple of apostles that on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, had heard of the resurrection but were confused about all of these things. And, and they, were, they were disappointed that Jesus had been crucified and they didn't know whether to believe in the resurrection. But as he walked along with them, it says, he opened their minds to understand the scripture. So that is my prayer today. Lord, open our minds to understand the scripture. So concerning abortion, I could appeal to you with some kind of legal or political argument. I could appeal to you with the medical realities or maybe the moral or philosophical argument. All of those are very convincing and they have their place and they are certainly significant. But you see, we already know how to think politically. Everybody here thinks either liberal or, or conservative, blue or red, Republican or Democrat, or maybe I should say many of us here are sick to death of all of it. <laughs> Amen. We know how to think politically. And certainly we are, listen to me, very good at responding emotionally. Because when you get into this subject of abortion and right to life and a woman's right to choose, understand there's a lot of heat in that discussion, but there's very little light or fire. 
It's all heat. It's all emotion about 99% and very little truth in the middle of all of it, just how I feel about it. We can try to justify abortion pragmatically. We can make it about dollars and cents or what makes sense to you and me. We can even think medically and scientifically. But here's the bottom line. Listen to me now. Here's the bottom line. What most of us don't do a very good job of about some things like this is to think biblically and to think spiritually. How should I view what happened two weeks ago? How should I view the story of our nation for the last 49 years? How should I view the future and what kind of changes are afoot? How should I view all of this when it comes to people's rights, not only to uh, whether or not to have or to dispose of their unborn child, but how to live in any kind of deviant behavior they want to live in. How can I and how should I in my mind, in my heart, in my soul think about this? We need to be able to think about it biblically and spiritually. We need to learn to think, we must learn to think Christianly about these things. So with that thought in mind, I reread verses 13 through 16 of our text. The writer says, this is David speaking, Lord, you have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. These words are just as inspired and true as John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Just as you are trusting the gospel message of that verse for the salvation of your soul, you must also receive and embrace 
these truths of Psalm 139. This psalm teaches us many things, but let me list for you five powerful truths. Number one, we are intimately known. Every last one of us are intimately known. Verse 13 said, Lord, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Ever since I have read that verse, you have knitted me together. Even as a young lad, I would remember my Aunt Elizabeth, who would sit there in her chair with her glasses down on her nose like that and watch her beloved Arkansas Razorbacks play football on Saturday and watching the game and never looking down. Her hands were constantly at work. And to me, it seemed shapeless. It seemed like it, it was going to be nothing. And then after a while, guess what? It all suddenly began to have a shape and a meaning to it. One of her greatest efforts in her eyes was that she knitted Frank Broyles a sweater in razorback red and sent it to him. You knit me together. I could just see the Lord knitting you and me together. Even while we were in our mother's wombs. Not only verse 13, but, but listen to some of these other phrases from this psalm. You have searched me and known me. You discern, you understand my thoughts from a great distance. You are acquainted with all of my ways. You know my words before I speak them. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. I can't grasp it. I can never get there myself. It's just too wonderful. Your ways are so beyond mine. Friend, listen to me. No one knows you like God knows you. He knows what you are thinking. He knows how you are feeling, why you do what you do. He knows your yesterdays and is willing to forgive all of it. He knows your tomorrows and is already there prepared to walk through them with you. And he has known you and all of this, this since before you were ever born. From the very moment life was sparked in your mother's womb, God knew you and your days were numbered in his book. Now understand, when it says that God numbers our days, it's not like on the old westerns when the sheriff says to the bad guy, your days are numbered. <laughs> it's not like that. It's not a threat that God's going to take you out, though he will someday. He'll call you home. But it means that God has prescribed all of your days. You'll only live as long as God prescribes. No less, no more. We are intimately known by God. 
Number two, we are purposefully made. We are purposefully made. Verse 14 says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We are made with a purpose. And you know what God's purpose for life is? It is to honor and glorify God with our words and with our actions. And more than anything else, did you know that that's what every person will answer for when they stand before God on the day of judgment? For those who live for themselves, for those who live wickedly, for those who reject Christ, what they will most account for is not just the sins that they have committed, but the lack of glory that they brought to God having been given life that only God can give. Every life has a purpose. And that purpose is to bring glory to God. Every talent, every gift, every occupation has a place in the kingdom of God. Who we are is meant to bring worship and praise to Him. Now listen to me. With that idea made that that we are purposefully made, that God created us, that, that it is the giver of life, God, that caused when that when that physical, um, I'm trying not to be too graphic, whenever life was sparked inside your mother's womb, and I believe it was the very moment of conception, understand that we are purposefully being knit together and made. And there are, listen now, there are no accidental births. There are no meaningless lies that are just embryos or fetuses. By the way, you heard that word fetus a number of times in, in this world's view of how we should think about abortion. Have you ever noticed that the only time the word fetus is used is in the context of abortion? That's the only time it's ever used. No one says, well, my fetus is 24 weeks old. How old is your fetus? Nobody says that. And the trauma and sadness of, of maybe a miscarriage, nobody says, oh, I lost my fetus. They say, I lost the baby. The word is reserved only in the context of an unwillingness to name it what it is. It is a child. It is a person made in the image of God. And anytime we use fetus or whatever, it is to try to rob that child of its personhood, of its God image, and to excuse whatever we want to do about it. There are no unwanted children in the eyes of God. Listen to me, church. There should be no unwanted children in your eyes or my eyes either. We are purposefully made. We are intimately known. Number three, keep this in mind about this psalm. Never lose sight of it. 
God is in control. God is in control. Verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Before I was born, my years and months and days and hours and minutes and seconds were already prescribed. I'm 69 plus years old. I know that you marvel that I look so youthful. I'm kind of like uh, what Mickey Mantle used to say. If I'd have known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. But you see, I'm still here because, for whatever reasons, God has already written in His book how many days, how many years I'll live. And the same is true for you. We speak of untimely deaths. But that's only from our limited human perspective. Friend, there is no untimely death. God, the giver of life, God, the taker of life, it's all known to Him. It's not a surprise to Him. It's no trauma to Him. All of it has a purpose. And there is infinitely more happening in the world and in our lives than we can ever see. But you see, God's view is limitless. It transcends time and space. He has numbered our days, and nothing can change or alter His good plan for our lives. His will trumps what we want. And I hesitate to use the word trumps. That's trumps with a small t. It's not a person. You'll figure that out when you get home. His will trumps what we want. Amen? God's will does. And for someone to make a decision that this unborn embryo, just this fetus inside of them, my body, my choice, is almost the ultimate abomination against who God is. Consider this story. I read it to you. Pam and her husband Bob were serving as missionaries to the Philippines and praying for a fifth child. But Pam contracted amoebic dysentery, an infection of the intestine caused by a parasite found in contaminated food or drink. She went into a coma and was treated with strong antibiotics before they discovered she was pregnant. Doctors urged her to abort the baby for her own safety, telling her the medicines had caused irreversible damage to her baby. She refused the abortion and cited her Christian faith as the reason for her hope that her son would be born without the devastating disabilities that the physicians predicted. While pregnant, Pam nearly lost their baby four times, but still refused to consider abortion. 
She recalled making a pledge to God with her husband. If you will give us a son, we'll name him Timothy and we'll give him to you. Ultimately, Pam spent the last two months of her pregnancy in bed and eventually gave birth to a healthy baby boy on August the 14th, 1987. Pam's youngest son is indeed serving Christ. He preaches in prisons, makes hospital visits, and serves with his father's ministry in the Philippines. By the way, he also played football, and his name is Tim Tebow. I don't know how many of you that name is recognizable. When he played against Arkansas, I hated his guts. <laughs> Purely athletically speaking. Purely on the field speaking. He should have been aborted by all the reasoning of the world by all the reasoning of medical doctors, by all the counsel and advice of the experts, you need to abort that child, that fetus, excuse me. But to understand, God was in control, amen? He still is. Do you believe that? He still is. Number four, we also learn from this psalm that we are never alone. We are never alone. Verses 7 through 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. One of the biggest tricks and deceits of our enemy is to isolate and convince us that we are alone. The last two and a half years of a pandemic has in many ways divided and isolated and separated people from one another. But for a single woman who is pregnant, feeling isolated and alone is perhaps the enemy's greatest deception. Many times in that person's mind, the abortionist is the only person I can look to. But remember, it is a lie. God is there. He was there through all of your yesterdays. He's there through your today. And He will be there through all of your tomorrows. And listen, folks, Calvary Church, the church should be there also. And not just the church out there somewhere, but the church inside these walls. We should be there for those who feel alone and for those who need help as well. Point number five that I'll bring out to you, and I'll close this. Judgment belongs to God alone. 
judgment belongs to God alone. Verse 19 says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. It's very interesting because he goes on from verse 19 to say things like this. This is David, a man after God's own heart, who is inspired of the Spirit to record these words. Listen to them. Lord, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. That's harsh language, is it not? Especially when all through the Psalms we read about how we should love people. How we should show mercy to people. How we should forgive people. And we are taught and, and we are encouraged to receive people and, and to overlook all of their errors because nobody's perfect. So who gives David a right to say, Lord, slay the wicked. Man of blood, depart from me. I hate you. I loathe you. I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. How could a man after God's own heart say that? This is what you call an imprecatory psalm. An imprecatory. You find it a number of other places. Where David or the writer of the psalms is praying for God's judgment to fall on people. He's speaking in harsh tones about sinners and what should happen to them. These are imprecatory uh, psalms and statements. But understand, the Apostle Paul knew this, and you need to understand it, and so do I, that David was not speaking his words about himself. David is the king, but in the Psalms, he represents the future king, the king of kings and the Lord of glory, the Lord of lords. He represents Jesus Christ himself. This is a prophetic statement, a prophetic execution of what will happen when God casts away all of his enemies. When he says, I hate them with a perfect hatred, God, take these bloody men away from me. Understand, he is speaking prophetically what the Lord will speak when the Lord comes. And listen to me, when Jesus Christ, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords comes back, he will not come back with grace. He will not come back with mercy. He will not be coming back with forgiveness on his lips. He will not be saying love one another. He will be coming back to take his bride out of this world. And he will be coming back to execute judgment on all of those who have rejected him. And he will say to them, I hate you with a perfect hatred. Be cast into eternal damnation and fire. That is also the work of the Lord. And it's what will happen when he comes. And who is more wicked than those who shed innocent blood? 
who could be described more accurately as men of blood than the abortionist? Or for that matter, any person, program, policy, or agency that advocates and assists in the murder of the innocent, in the murder of unborn children. That is my opinion, that last statement. Men of blood. Judgment belongs to God, ultimately. We could go on with many other lessons from this psalm, but these are sufficient. We are intimately known from the very moment of our conception. We are purposefully made, being knit together for God's honor and glory, even in the womb. By the way, God is still knitting you, and he is still knitting me for his glory. We are purposefully made. God is in control, no matter what it looks like. We are never alone. And ultimately, judgment belongs to God alone. Just because God has restrained himself, just because God seems to not mind all the evil that is in the world, when he used to act so quickly to deal with it in Old Testament days, it doesn't mean that God is ignoring it. He is storing up wrath to be revealed on the last days. You ask me what is the summary of all of this? I believe God is a God of life. I believe it's only God who can give life. I believe we need to value life. We can think of a hundred exceptions. What about, what about, what about, what about? But all your whatabouts just lead to the death of somebody, namely the unborn. We need to err, if we err, on the side of life. Well, that's what I believe the Bible teaches about the sanctity of life. How do we apply those truths in a practical way? If you'll come back next Sunday, we'll talk about that. Would you join me in prayer, please? Lord, you are the creator of all things. You breathe life into every human before they ever leave the womb. Lord, it is devastating that abortion has weaved its way into many people's minds as an acceptable choice. Please stop the enemy's lies from seeping into the minds of the confused. Please prevent and stop the enemy's lies from taking away the voice, your voice. Father, help us to have compassion on the women who made or were forced to make this horrifying choice and who are now suffering the consequences. Surround them with your love and remind them that your sacrifice covers even this and that those who belong to you are free in Christ. 
from the guilt of every sin. Break the chain of guilt in those who have repented before you. Revive them to live their life according, knowing true joy in you. May their changed lives speak volumes about the amazing power of your forgiveness and love. Father, help us to remember the unborn who are unwanted and tossed aside every day. Help us to be a light in a world of darkness. Give us opportunities to love people and present the truth of your word. Use us to offer alternative options to women in desperate situations. Jesus, you have the power to change hearts. We pray for the women considering this option right now. Help them to see that there is another way, a better way. And Father, we thank you and praise you for the courageous justices who voted to overturn the evil of Roe v. Wade. Many of us had given up hope that this day would ever come. But we thank you for it, for only you could have brought it about. Now we pray for the ending of this great sin completely. We pray that our culture of death will be replaced with a culture of life. For you are the God of life. We pray for a renewal of family and faith in the world. And may the church come alongside single parents and families in need, helping to raise these children for Christ. In your almighty name, Jesus, by which all things are possible, we pray this prayer. And all of God's people said, Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.